Hi, everybody. Uh, we're continuing our, I'm on, right? Can you hear me? Yeah, okay, thanks. Uh, we're continuing our embodiment series. Mm -hmm. uh, the good news through the eyes of John the Beloved. You know, our passage today comes from John 8, 37 uh, to 47. And if you're joining us uh, on YouTube or the podcast, uh, just feel free to pause and read the text in the description. So when I uh, saw the teaching schedule and I saw my name next to this text and I briefly looked over the text, I was like, oh, no, it's the you belong to your father, the devil passage, you know, and, and I just. I was kind of worried about what to say, you know, it's uh, <laughs> I kind of it's one of those passages. I don't know if you have these, but it's one of those where. I kind of read it and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just skim that over and kind of read some nice stuff that Jesus says or does. But uh, I think after taking some time to prepare this week, I believe that God has some good news uh, for us to hear today. So uh, just setting the stage, uh, we're in chapter eight. So up to that point, you know, Jesus is making a lot of noise. Uh, he's doing miracles and signs and healings. He's welcoming outcasts, you know, Samaritans, and he's really stirring up things. You know, he has these huge claims. And even in chapter eight, where our text comes from, you know, he's at the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, this feast where they remember, you know, God's provision and God's presence with them in the wilderness during the Exodus. And, you know, these symbols of uh, these rituals they had during that, that uh, feast of, you know, these large like 75 feet uh candlesticks or candelabra uh, lit up you know just to signify god providing that light during that time and you know these uh grand uh, water uh libations or offerings uh these ceremonies they did representing god you know providing water for them in the wilderness and you know jesus just before our text is saying some pretty big stuff he's saying you know that water actually i'm the one come to me and if you're thirsty i'll give you living water i'll give you the spirit you know this is quite a huge claim um also jesus just before our text says i am the light of the world you know that light that light is lighting up you know the temple right now is lighting up all jerusalem guess what? I'm the light of the world. And you can understand why uh, people aren't so cool about this. You know, he starts to stir things up again. He, there's some hostility, some, you know, religious leaders and teachers uh, are just challenging him and, and rightfully so, you know. And, you know, our text today is, is kind of surprising. Um, it's, it's at a point when Jesus is really coming into this challenge with the Pharisees. Um, and then there's a moment where he's speaking. And it says uh, in verse 31 earlier, it says, or 30, it says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. And then it says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I was surprised uh, to, re to realize that this, you belong to your father, the devil, 
you know, he's talking to people a few verses earlier. He just said, these are Jews who had believed in him, you know? So how do you go from Jews who had believed in him to you belong to your father, the devil? It's just like, what? You know, I was thinking, oh, this is a moment where, oh, this is nice. You know, the hostile crowds are starting to like calm down. But no, Jesus like brings in this, you know, causes the stirring up again. So uh, just going into our text today, then um, it, it was, it's something that's very, very uh, difficult for them to hear. And as I just said, uh, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I believe Jesus is saying this. Uh, if you hold on to my teaching. And this idea of this, if you hold on to it, you're my, really my disciples. And it's, it's about truth and it's going to set you free. I believe that he gives them this because he knows what, what he's about to say is really going to shake them, is really going to challenge the worldview, is really, yeah, going to be a huge uh, truth to receive. So he's already calling them, you know, just hold on to this. And, you know, really the, this uh, section of the passage or our text today, it's um, the common thread really is, you know, the subject of Abraham and uh, sort of like the legitimacy or the who has a legitimate right to be uh, true children of Abraham. And as we go into our text, as Anna read, um, you know, we see this part where they're discussing this and Jesus says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. Uh, but basically he says, you're not doing anything. He, you're not acting like him. You're not, you're not doing the things he did. You know, you're looking for a way to kill me. Uh, you're not listening to the things I'm saying. And then Jesus says, you know, you're doing what you're, you heard your from your father. And this causes such a stir up in their hearts. They're like, Abraham is our father. And then Jesus again challenges them. Well, if, if Abraham was your father, then you would do what Abraham did. And their response is this really strong protest. That word is very strong. It's in saying that we are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. So I'll just uh, pause there because I think it's worth um, sort of talking about Abraham before. Uh, it, it will shed light, I think, on this passage. Well, at least it did for me. So at first glance, you know, why are they making such a big deal about uh, this idea of being legitimate children of Abraham? And, you know, at first glance, we, we know that Abraham, um, as, a, as a kid, you know, I just know that he's blessed. You know, at first glance, we know he's chosen by God. Uh, he's blessed, given a bunch of promises to be a great nation, which, you know, becomes Israel. And that you know, Israel and Abraham's family, they're like the special chosen people of God. And later on, uh, we find out in like the Exodus and other passages that this idea of God being their father starts to come in, where this uh, sort of synonymous with the children of Abraham, Israel, and now children of God. So all these things kind of being together. And it was a big deal then for them because it, it meant if I'm a child of Abraham, then I'm part of God's blessed people. 
you know, this is a huge, huge deal. So when Jesus is challenging this, it, it, it's, it's shaking them up. And here we go. And so it's this, it's this idea for them, they believed that being a descendant or being from the bloodline of Abraham meant that they were true, uh, true children of Abraham and thus children of God. And for them, the bloodline was sort of that legitimate right uh, that they had. And it was something that they held on to. So I, I don't know for you, but for me, it begs the question when I think of Abraham and Israel, especially when I was uh, just thinking about this passage is like, okay, great. Abraham was chosen and blessed and his the nation of Israel was blessed. And I'm thinking, what about the rest of us? You know, what about the nations? What about, you know, you know, what about me? What about you? Um, so Jesus really just challenges this idea that there's more to being a child of Abraham than simply being part of Abraham's bloodline or ancestry. And this, if we take another look at Abraham and sort of the context in which he was called, it's, you know, in Genesis uh, 12, but before that, you know, humanity and the world is just falling into sin and brokenness. It's just full of violence and, you know, bloodshed and just this corruption. And it's at this time God chooses Abraham, but he doesn't choose Abraham just for the sake of choosing Abraham to bless. And that's it. He gives, he says something very important that uh, we need to hear. We need to know. It says, uh, I will make you in Genesis 12. It says, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you. Uh, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who uh, bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So it's this idea that for the calling of Abraham and Israel, it was to be a blessing to the nations. That it wasn't like God didn't think about the nations, but actually the backstory is that God chose Abraham's family in Israel uh, to be the means of his rescue plan uh, for all of humanity, that they would be, you know, that light uh, that drawing the nations in, that they would uh, just reveal who God is and make the nations want to know him and come back to him or come to him. And, uh, you know, you see this idea throughout scripture um, that Israel really is bigger uh, than just like ethnic identity. It's bigger than those who are of Abraham's blood. You know, whether it's through the, in the Exodus, when God delivers Israel, you know, it says that they're joined by this mixed multitude. So these people from all different groups, uh, whether it's uh, Ruth, uh, the Moabite entering the line of David, whether it's uh, Rahab, uh, the Canaanite, you know, joining, uh, becoming a part of David's ancestry and even in places like isaiah 56 you know there's this idea that foreigners uh are not excluded you know from his people and that um yeah that that 
that God's house is a house of prayer for all nations. So it's just really this idea that um, through Israel, through Abraham's family, that all these nations, uh, that all of us would be able to, to be blessed. Not only that, but that we'd be able to somehow, you know, in Genesis 17 talks about Abraham's a father of many nations. So in, in some way, we're, we're waiting for Israel and the nations somehow to, to come together. And, you know, at Jesus's arrival, this is really a monumental event where Jesus is actually fulfilling that promise, coming as, um, you know, as an Israel, Israelite, as the Messiah representing, you know, Israel. He ful actually fulfills Israel's call to be a light. He actually fulfills Israel's call to bless the nations. And he fulfills God's promise to Abraham. And uh, even later in our text, uh, in chapter 8, it says, um, Jesus will later say, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And it was Jesus's heart really to uh, truly make Abraham a father of many nations, to fulfill this in an extraordinary way. And, you know, this idea of the nations being grafted into uh, Israel and become this one worldwide family. You know, a, a verse that, I'm sure a lot of us know is from Galatians 3, where it's talking about neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, uh, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the part that sometimes uh, I know I kind of just gloss over is it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That in earlier in Galatians 3, it talks about uh, in, in verse seven, it says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. You know, so it's this, amazing time when jesus is really just drawing in he's already drawn in the samaritans you know and he's really just doing this incredible thing of creating uh ephesians talked about creating this one new humanity this one family this worldwide family of god that all that abraham hoped for or all that god had planned he's fulfilling it and you're seeing you know this one humanity come together you know jews and non-Jews or Gentiles coming together to become one family. And the picture, uh, I just, I loved when someone showed me. Um, hold on a second. Is this one. And it's, it's by Sam Van Aiken. It's the trees of 40 fruit. So he took, you know, these are stone fruits. He took like uh, as a conservation work and, and as an art piece, he took these uh, 40 different types of stone fruit and he grafted them in to this tree. And you just see how beautiful it is. You know, it's just incredible. Can you imagine 40 different types of fruit in one tree? And that's really 
the beauty of this, I think, really reflects God's heart all along. That all along, the nations were not an afterthought. You know, you and I are not an afterthought, sort of a plan B. It, it's, it's God's plan A was always to use Abraham and his family uh, to bring us in, that we would become one. It's not like, and it's not like a monochrome thing where we'll all be assimilated to become, you know, Jews like the Borg or something from Star Trek for you guys who know that <laughs> reference it, it's this like this picture it's this engrafting where all the beautiful uh colors and uniqueness of our cultures and who we are they begin to express who god is you know and it, it, it sort of reminds me also of uh revelation i think seven where it's like they hear john hears oh 144,000 from the tribes of israel and then he looks and it's like a countless multitude from every tribe, nation, and tongue. You know, it's this, this is what God had in, in mind all along. And it's also at this point um, that it becomes evident why Jesus is really pushing this issue of bloodline, where he's challenging these people's idea that being a child of Abraham is more than just bloodline where he's really pushing that. And, and one of the reasons why is because, I mean, this word uh, legitimate really rang in my brain and in my heart while I was reading this, because as long as they, and you'll see this later in the story as the story unfolds, when, if they were un unwilling to let go of that idea that their status and, and their, their right to become children of God was through Abraham's bloodline, as long as they held on to that, they would, there would always be, they wouldn't be one family. There would be those who had the special privilege or special legitimacy. And then those other people, you know, other people who are, okay, we'll let you in kind of thing. And that's, you can't have that if you're going to create one humanity. It has to be, you know, it has to be in Christ, in his radical grace. And, you know, I thought, uh, as I was preparing, I, I just remembered this. Um, it kind of stirred up some stuff from my past. I remember when I was a kid. Uh, so I grew up in Canada, and in specifically in Niagara Falls, Ontario. Um, and I was the only. My sister and I were the only people in only Koreans for, with a Korean background or visible minority in our uh, in our public school. And I remember. I seriously, I still have this memory. This one day, uh, and most kids are, you know, you know, Caucasian in skin color, and so I remember this one day. Uh, some kids came up to me and they said, uh, "What are you?" And then I thought I didn't have the words, but I thought they meant, "Oh, where are you? Like, where were you from, or what's your ethnic heritage, or something?" And then I remember saying. Oh, I'm Canadian. And then they said, no, we're, uh, what are you? And then I said, again, I thought, okay, okay, maybe they mean this other thing. So I'll say, I'll just say, yeah, I'm Korean. And then first reaction, what's that? <laughs> it's not, it's not the same as Chinese or Japanese, but anyways. And then I said, expecting to hear an answer about their, you know, where their ethnic heritage was. And I said, oh, what are you? And then they said, Canadian. And at that moment, I felt like, oh, wait a second, maybe, <laughs> I guess it, this sort of idea that 
oh, maybe I'm less legitimate, you know, or I'm kind of sort of a less than Canadian because I, I look a certain way, though I was raised here, you know, <laughs> it's, it's sort of idea of being less than or not really totally belonging. And it's, it's not a great, it's not a great feeling. And maybe some of you can relate whether that's through a similar story like mine, or maybe in your own family or a group of friends, or uh, yeah, just whatever groups that you might be around. And I believe that this is not the vision that Jesus had, you know, and this is why he, he stood so hard and fought so hard and gave up his life and shed his own blood so that we can truly become one family because it's not until you know we have this common point of common grace you know where it's in christ you know it's through trusting in him it's through what he's done for us like we're all in need of this radical grace you know and i, I think it's once we 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 all accept this common and radical grace and even for these uh i, I need to mention that these jews are don't re represent all jews as these particular jews at a particular time um, that he was presenting this radical grace because unless they let go of their prior claim or higher claim or that how would they be able to embrace the nations how would they be able to embrace everybody else if they're holding on to this other other uh, thing that they're putting the trust in it's when we accept this radical grace for ourselves that we can extend that to everyone else and that everyone be, truly becomes equal and one. And, you know, Jesus, his vision was to just, you know, the kind of family Jesus was creating was one where all fixed hierarchies of status were shattered. You know, we read in Galatians, neither Jew nor Gentile, uh, male nor female, slave uh, or free. It, I mean, yeah, slave or free. It's this idea that we're all these fixed hierarchies and things that, could put one above the other. Jesus is saying, no, you're all one in Christ and you're a part of this family. And really, um, just going back to our John 8 passage, sadly, uh, these, at least at this point, uh, this particular group, um, they, they don't really respond well actually they become opponents and you know jesus says in verse this is where we get the the part you know verse 44 uh, you belong to your father uh, the devil and want to carry you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native language for he's a liar and the father of lies and Sadly, well, especially um, later on, uh, you know, that's actually what they do is this idea of murder. They tried to kill Jesus in the end of the chapter in verse 58. They pick up stones and, and actually try to kill Jesus. And not only that, but in, in verse 48, like a few, few verses later, they say, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon possessed? Like, can you, can you imagine saying that to Jesus? That's, you know, and just behind that uh, is also the sense of, 
you know, superiority over the Samaritans, you know, they actually viewed Samaritans as illegitimate and, you know, as being not of God. So you can just see that prejudice, just see that sense of ex exclusion and like, how is that going to work? If you're truly children of Abraham, it's about, it's about welcoming in the nations. And Jesus is arguing that if you're really about the things of Abraham, you would see what I'm doing, though you might not fully understand it. You would see it and embrace it. And um, you would be willing to embrace this grace that will make the way for all the nations to come in, you know, you know, to become one people bought by the same blood, you know, having the same right in Jesus, you know, given the same spirit, the same river flowing within them, giving them life, you know, the same baptism, you know, everything, the same hope, being able to call, you know, have the spirit in us, in all of us, in all these different people, stirring us, even in our own language, crying out, Abba, Father, and sharing the same father and becoming truly one family and you know i think that's why maybe the lord's prayer jesus says starts with our father it's a reminder that it, it's really we're part of a family and uh with as these people um sadly were not willing to let go let go of um sort of that legitimacy through bloodline it really put them at odds uh, with jesus and it was a big, a big ask for them um, to do that. And I think that's why Jesus says, you know, hold to my teaching. It's because can you imagine uh, how much they would have to, how, how difficult it would be for them, just say even Samaritans, who Jesus, you know, ministered or welcomed in in chapter four, to sharing a table with those Samaritans. You know, it would mean calling them brother or sister or in hearing them call them brother or sister. It would be this tremendous <laughs> realizing we are the same in need of the same grace and have the same father and we have the same right through Christ and his radical grace. That's, that's a, that was a big ask. And uh, sadly at this point, uh, they were more on you know, the side of the devil who tries to you know, divide us from God, divide us from one another. And yeah, the early church, uh, it, it was quite the sight, I think, for the watching world, what Jesus had in mind, what these, he was inviting these people into, uh, these particular Jews into, was something that was so explosive, you know, this community that was so dynamic and so, like, would just kind of boggle the minds of people, you know? It was quite the sight, you know, for the watching world. Uh, in the context, uh, the Greco-Roman cities were, there's a really good uh, book called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark, but he describes uh, sort of the context back then that a lot of the cities were very fragmented. There were a lot of internal ethnic divisions. Uh, there was a lot of cultural chaos and hatred. Um, and yeah, can you imagine in that context, even some of their cities had walls to separate different groups. The hostility was that bad. So can you imagine in that context, um, seeing a community of people 
whether it's a Roman who might have oppressed, you know, other Christians or, or Jewish people, you know, they're very oppressors. And, you know, and Jews and people from all different sorts, you know, who should be enemies or people from different sort of classes that should, should according to uh, society, hold power over the other. Can you imagine this group of, of people uh, gathering around the same table, sharing the same meal and calling each other brother or sister? And I think that is uh, a beautiful sight um, for the world and, and a good reminder that that's what you know, Jesus wants for us today that he's uh, paid in blood for was with his life and is that we would be one and that the world would see that, hey, this doesn't make sense that these people um, are together. You know, it would draw them, people, all different sorts. Because we know in this world, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of having a lot of prejudice and discrimination as well. Um, and there's different, you know, we live in a world that's full of different cliques, you know, that's very segregated. And I, I think Christ's vision for the church is that, and for the family of God, that we would truly be, you know, all nations and filled with all sorts of people. And, you know, today, my prayer for us is that we would uh, receive this uh, radical grace offered in Christ that, you know, that you are truly um, a legitimate child of God and a part of uh, God's story. You know, you're a part of Abraham's family and God's family. And the call for us is to extend this radical grace and invitation uh, to the world and to all those around us. So uh, I have a reflection question here. It says, I mean, when I was reading this, uh, the text, this verse sort of echoes through, through it. But it says, um, John 1.12, so yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And maybe we can reflect on uh, what might it mean to embrace Christ and his radical grace and live in, well, that should be in a way, <laughs> in a way that considers uh, yourself and others as legitimate children of God. And also, is there anything that hinders you from receiving this grace or extending this grace to others? So maybe we can just reflect on that for two minutes. <laughs> 